This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. Thank you for tuning in to listen to another Notorious Bakersfield story. Remember to follow this podcast's social media pages. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to us on whichever podcast app you use to listen to podcasts. Notorious Bakersfield is on Apple, Spotify, Google, every podcast app that's available. If you'd like to email me with suggestions for stories you'd like me to cover, email me at NotoriousBakersfield at gmail.com. Or go to NotoriousBakersfield.com and contact me through the website. That music means it is time for Notorious Bakersfield listener questions. Hi, my name is Gail, and I really enjoy listening to your podcast. My question is, how and where do you access the Bakersfield, California archives for your research? Thanks. Thank you, Gail, for that question. How or where do I access the Bakersfield, Californian archives? Um, good question, and I'm happy to answer that. Um, there's two websites that I use to access archive Bakersfield, California newspapers. The first one I'll be talking about isn't the best for searching the California because it's lacking. There are many missing dates, but I ta I'll talk about it because it's, uh, I like certain things about it. So you should be aware of it. So this first website is newspapers.com. I think it costs $140 a year, um, for a subscription somewhere around there. Um, but the big drawback or negative about this site, as I mentioned, there are many missing dates for the Californian. Um, they don't have a lot of issues. Oh, th there's just a lot of, uh, there's like months missing in some years. So it's not, if you want to do a deep dive into the Bakersfield Californian, it's not a good website. Um, it's good for the Fresno Bee. Um, it's great for the Fresno Bee, have no problem finding stories in the Fresno Bee, but for whatever reason, it's not that good for, uh, for the Bakersfield California. There's just not, it's not as extensive. So, and these archives only go up to 1977. There's nothing after 1977. So the second website the one I like best, the one I use the most, which has most dates for the Bakersfield Californian is newspaperarchives.com. And the price for this is free with a Kern County library card. Anybody can access newspaperarchives.com for free. And there's my plug for the great Kern County library. There's a negative about newspapersarchives.com, at least when you're accessing with your um, library card. The one negative is that it's limited to California newspapers. 
But if you only want to search for the Bakersfield Californian, it's great. The other negative, like the other website, this one too only goes up to 1977, nothing after 1977. So for stories after 1977, I go to the Kern County Library's Bill Branch on Truxton and search their microfish or film or whatever it's called. This is the local history section of the library on the second floor. Here's this. I'm recording this episode June 2022, just for reference if anybody's listening years in advance or months in advance. It's my understanding that things are changing and copies of the Bakersfield Californian beyond 1977 will eventually be available online. When that happens, I have no idea when, but hopefully soon. When that happens, my favorite website to search archive Bakersfield Californian newspapers may change. So what I like today may not be my favorite down the road, six months, a year from now, who knows. That might all be different. If and when that changes, I'll let you know. But for now, newspaperarchives.com is my favorite. It's free with a library card. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, and I'll post the link to the Notorious Bakersfield social media pages. Thank you, Gail, and I hope that answered your question. If you have a question you'd like to ask me, go to NotoriousBakersfield.com, click the microphone icon, and record a message. I might play your, your question on a future episode. People are having problems um, when, they act, when they access the website from their phones. I think it has to do with some kind of setting. So it's best to go to your computer and go to NotoriousBakersfield.com and ask your question there. Just press the microphone icon and you, re you can record your message. So I look forward to uh, hearing your questions and answering them. Tom Dertinger called his wife Barbara around 2 p.m. on January 10th, 1986. He told Barbara he was leaving his office to run some errands. Later that afternoon, he called his secretary to tell her he was at the apartment of an acquaintance to buy a three-wheeled motorcycle, an ATV. He told his secretary that he wasn't sure if he'd be done in time to get back to the office to close up, but he'd call back to let her know if she needed to secure the business before she left for the day. That call never came. Nobody ever heard from Tom again. This is Death of a Businessman. Thomas and Barbara Dertinger met and got married in Michigan. The couple moved to Bakersfield in the mid-1970s. They weren't from here, but it didn't take long for the couple to settle in and make Bakersfield home. Since they didn't have any family living here, they always maintained close ties with their family in Michigan. They regularly took trips back to their home state, to visit their family there. Since Tom and Barbara never had any kids of their own, they took an interest in their nieces and nephews' lives. They built close relationships with each child. 
Often, Anise would travel to Bakersfield to stay with Tom and Barbara over the summer. Tom proved himself a successful businessman. Not long after moving to Bakersfield, he started a trucking brokerage firm. The location of this business was on the southeast corner of Rosedale Highway and Allen Road. A fast trip convenience store is currently located there. As Tom's brokerage business grew, so did the couple's real estate investments. Tom and Barbara purchased several rental properties around town. Tom and Barbara were members of the Bakersfield Country Club, where Tom indulged in one of his hobbies, golf. He also enjoyed dune buggying at Dumont Dunes and water and snow skiing. He was an animal lover. He enjoyed his own dogs and volunteered at the SPCA. By the new year of 1986, everything in Tom and Barbara Dertinger's world was going smooth. Their marriage was strong. The business was going good and growing. Their financial future looked bright. Both of them were still young. Tom was 42, and Barbara was going to be turning 40 that year. The one negative thing was Tom's health. He was diabetic, but was able to keep it in check with two injections a day. Other than that, life for the Dirtingers was just fine until Friday, January 10th, 1986. In the afternoon of that day, Tom called Barbara to tell her he was leaving the office to run some errands. As Tom walked out of the office, he told his secretary that he'd call her later to check in. He was going to look at a three-wheeled motorcycle an acquaintance had for sale. Tom must have intended to buy the ATV because he had 12 $100 bills in his pocket. At about 2.45 p.m., as promised, Tom called his secretary. He told her he was at this acquaintance house. His name was Mike Duncan. Mike and Tom had known each other for several years. During this phone call, the secretary could overhear Mike's voice in the background. Tom said he wasn't sure if he'd be back to the office before the end of the business day, but he'd call back to let her know one way or the other. The secretary never got that follow-up phone call. When Tom didn't come home that night, Barbara went to the Bakersfield police. In the beginning of this ordeal, it doesn't seem like Barbara suspected foul play. It appears she thought Tom had a diabetic episode. She went to the news media to get the word out about Tom's disappearance. And that's the part of the story that was emphasized, Tom's medical condition, that he was insulin dependent. It was feared Tom was somewhere incoherent or in a diabetic coma. That was the logical conclusion. Tom didn't have any enemies. He got along with everyone. How could someone with Tom's outgoing personality and kind disposition become the victim of foul play? But then, when police questioned the secretary and found out Tom went to meet his friend Mike to buy a three-wheeled motorcycle with $1,200 in his pocket, the focus of the investigation turned to that friend, 26-year-old Michael Dell Duncan. 
When detectives went to question Duncan, he couldn't be found. When they checked out his criminal history and to see if he had any warrants for his arrest, investigators discovered two warrants out of Texas, one for attempted murder and the other for grand theft auto. After learning this, Michael Duncan became the prime suspect. Barbara went back to the media, this time to offer a reward of $1,000 to anyone with information on the whereabouts of her husband Tom or Mike Duncan, the last known person to see Tom. The first break in the case came Monday, January 13th, three days after Tom's disappearance. His Mercedes was found abandoned on Margolo Avenue near Stein Road. It was unlocked, but there was no sign of Tom. On January 15th, three days after finding the car and five days after Tom's disappearance, Bakersfield police found Mike Duncan. Where was Mike those five days since Tom's disappearance? In Vegas. He took a jaunt to Sin City with an unusually large sum of money. When detectives questioned Mike about last seeing Tom, he denied seeing him January 10th, said he got along great with Tom, never had a disagreement or argument or fight, denied any connection to his disappearance. Despite not having a body, police arrested Michael Dell Duncan for the murder of Tom Dertinger. The apartment where Tom met Mike, where they're doing this deal, and where police suspect Tom died, was at 510 Real Road, just south of California Avenue. Detectives obtained a search warrant and discovered a significant amount of blood evidence inside the apartment and in the car Mike Duncan was driving at the time. During the police questioning of witnesses around the apartment building, a nine-year-old came forward to tell police he witnessed Mike Duncan loading a man into a car. According to this boy, this man's face was covered in blood. Another development in the case came two weeks after Tom disappeared. A farmer riding a motorcycle on Panama Lane found Tom's wallet. It was on the shoulder on the south side of Panama Lane, about a quarter of a mile east of Gosford, probably near where Winco is located today. The wallet was open with the driver's license clearly visible. As soon as he saw the picture, he recognized it as Tom Dertinger, the missing man whose name and picture had been in the news for the past two weeks. The farmer said, quote, even from 10 feet away, I recognized his picture from TV. At some point, and I'm not sure when in the investigation this happened, but police found more evidence related to this case. A briefcase with blood on it was found along Panama Lane. They determined it belonged to Tom. They also found a bloody towel and some clothing near a canal bank in southwest Bakersfield. Then, on February 20th, 1986, the body of Thomas Dertinger was found in the Frank Kern Canal near Coffee Road in Truxton Extension. 
Here's an odd coincidence. If you listen to episode 46 of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast, Accident or Murder, about the disappearance and death of Glenda Jean Huff, where Tom Dertinger's body was found isn't far from where Glenda's car and body were found just two years before. Kern County coroner determined that Tom died from blunt force trauma and multiple stab wounds. A funeral service was held at St. Philip's Catholic Church on February 26, 1986. Lab tests conducted on the blood evidence indicated the blood in the apartment and the blood in Mike Duncan's car and the blood on the briefcase were the same type of blood as Tom's. This was years before DNA matching, so there was no DNA testing on the evidence at the time, only matching Tom's blood type to the blood evidence. The case went to trial in October 1986. Since there were no actual witnesses to the murder, Deputy District Attorney Sarah Riles made her case against Mike Duncan based mostly on the circumstantial evidence. Tom's secretary placing Tom in the presence of Mike when he made the phone call, the blood evidence in the apartment where Tom met Mike, the blood evidence in the car Mike was driving, and the nine-year-old boy who witnessed Mike put Tom in the car. And the witnesses who testified, Mike had an unusually large amount of money immediately after Tom Dertinger's disappearance. Prosecutor wove all of this circumstantial evidence together to offer a compelling argument for Mike Duncan's guilt. Here's an interesting side story. When Tom Dertinger went to Mike Duncan's to discuss buying that three-wheeled motorcycle, he not only had $1,200 in cash on him, he had another $2,000 cash safely hidden in a boot he was wearing. When Tom's body was found six weeks after he disappeared, that $2,000 was discovered in his boot, right where Tom hid it before meeting with Mike Duncan. A jury of six men and six women found Michael Dell Duncan guilty of murder in the course of a robbery. With the special circumstances, Duncan was sentenced to the maximum possible life without parole. In researching this story, the only sources I had were the articles that ran in the Bakersfield, California at the time, and some online court records. News accounts of a crime are often one-dimensional. They're dry and impersonal. They don't give a lot. I reached out to a family member, a niece of Tom and Barbara's. Her name is Christy. With Christy's help, I was able to fill in the missing pieces of this story, mainly the type of person Tom was, his character and his personality. From Christy, I learned Barbara Dertinger continued living in Bakersfield many years after her husband's death. She moved to Kansas in the early 2000s to be closer to family. Sadly, Barbara passed away in 2008 in Kansas from natural causes. 
Christy was pleased to learn that Mike Duncan was still in prison. He's still serving that life without parole sentence he received over 35 years ago for the murder of her beloved uncle. Resources used to research the story, the Bakersfield Californian, online California Supreme Court records, and of course, Christy, Tom and Barbara Dertinger's niece. I'm Robert Peterson. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, for another notorious Bakersfield story. Have a good week.